values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Happy Monday from the Mike Broomhead Show. Your tax returns may be smaller this year. You may be getting a smaller refund. I want you to hear Rebecca Jarvis. She is with ABC News talking about these smaller refunds and why. A lot of people are going to see smaller refunds this year than they did in years past, especially during the pandemic, because a lot of the credits that came along as a result of the pandemic are now rolling back. So, for example, that child tax credit returning to its 20 2019 levels, the earned income tax credit that is returning to the 2019 level. So we're seeing a lot of this happen and people have smaller refunds. Now, I will tell you that I if if you've listened to the show, I will. I I don't think our tax structure is fair. Um, It's interesting. And I think the American people maybe need to push back a little bit on this. And that is, isn't it fascinating that the president of the United States for the better part of a year was just crushing the private industry, whether it was food growers, but especially the oil and gas industry, the fossil fuel industry, even going after some retailers in in his speeches saying you need to roll back your prices because of your obscene profits. You have to stop profiteering on the American people, which there are many people that believe that's true. You look at the billions of dollars in profits in the oil business and they 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 just crush the oil industry for doing that. But the principle is there's enough. You should have enough money. How much is too much? And um, we get to dictate how much is too much. And once you reach a reach a threshold, uh, Elizabeth Warren has championed this at the federal level, along with Bernie Sanders. But they're now doing it at the state level in five or six states across the country. A wealth tax that once you reach a certain level of wealth, they are going to tax you at a much higher rate on every dollar over that amount of money. They've even gone as far as to do the wealth tax and have it be on on property you own, not on profits that you make. A lot of different ways that they're going to try to take more money into the United States Treasury, but they have been collecting record revenue. The United States Treasury has still got record profits. If you look at profits that way, they have record profits. They're still spending in a deficit, but they're taking in more money than they ever have before. So for the American people, rich and poor, and I would say this to the working class Americans, where they're telling you we're going back, and I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing, that we're going back to the 2019 levels for these tax credits, which means your returns, your refunds will be smaller. Isn't it interesting that they they are still going to continue to take in record revenue but not give that money or that break to the American people all the while they're going after private industry and saying you have to reduce your prices because you're making too much money. To me, that's hypocrisy. And, and if you don't – maybe there's a lot of people that don't see it that way, but that's the way I see it. Here's another thing. Have you guys heard about ESG? Do you guys know what ESG is? It's environmental, social, and governance. And it's ESG investing. There are going to be new rules in place from the Biden administration on ESG investment. I'm going to read a little bit of this. The administration is pushing pushing the environmental social governance investing, which allows retirement fund managers to select stocks and companies based on their on their climate footprint, basically. So um it, for, it, for for example, to reduce greenhouse gases, money managers have divested in traditional oil and gas companies such as Exxon and Chevron. How has that worked out so far? Last year, these were two of the highest performing stocks. The concern here is that instead of it being 
I don't know what you think about your financial manager, whoever manages your money. I don't know who you go to for advice. But if their job is to make sure that the money that you're setting aside for your retirement, for your future, is making as much money as possible, no matter what's going on in the stock market, that you have the ability to continue to grow or at least not lose as much as the average across the board. It's fascinating now that the government is going to give companies permission to to let those finance managers use it in a way to advance the climate change agenda. I've said for a long time that this White House sees everything through the prism of climate change. Now, again, I think I'm an environmentalist. I will tell you very honestly, I don't litter. I recycle. I do the things I'm asked um, at my old property where I have green lawn in the front and the backyard. I didn't plant winter grass because of the water shortage here in Phoenix. I just thought, why would I have a green lawn that I have to water six times a day or five times a day while it's growing? Um, I thought we could just save the water and Phoenix. Now, I know it's not a lot. It's not a big deal, but I don't litter. Um, I also support game management uh, of the of the um, of the herds of game animals across Arizona and across the country. That management of those herds are what keeps them thriving and our forests alive. I'm in favor of all of those things. But this White House has the politics of climate change at the highest level. So now we're telling fund managers, we're talking about people that manage billions of dollars of the American people's retirement money, that you are going to base your decisions on what you invest in based on a company's climate footprint and not profitability. And I would say for me personally, that's outside of the bounds of what you're hired to do. If I say to you, I'm going to trust you with my investments, I'm going to trust you with some of my money. I'm going to take some of the money I'm setting aside for retirement, and every month I'm going to send some of it to you, and I'm trusting you. You're going to make money, but I'm trusting you to invest it in a way that grows for my retirement. And I find out that all these times people are screaming because the oil companies are making these profits, but I'm not making any money on my investment because although their stocks are performing very well and growing, you don't like the oil and gas industry, so you've pulled my money out of there as a statement about their climate footprint. You're fired. You are fired. And I'm someone I'm telling you that although I'm not a climate change believer in man-made climate change, I don't subscribe to that. I am someone that thinks, you know, I live in a beautiful place. I fell in love with Arizona the first time I came here and I've been in love with Arizona ever since. And I want to see it pristine. I, you know, you can't go to places around go, – go up onto the Navajo Nation and walk through the Ribbon Canyons. Go to some of the most beautiful – go to the Grand Canyon. Go to – just even up into the White Mountains. Go to Payson and walk through the forest. Go to Munns Park. Go to Oak, uh, you know, uh, Oak Creek Canyon. Nobody wants to see that destroyed or diminished. But the idea that we are going to adjust the economy to cater to people's political beliefs on the climate is not what a money manager is supposed to do. And it's just one more example, in my opinion, that this administration sees everything, even profitability and retirement, through the eyes of climate change. In a moment, an interesting story. It was over the weekend, the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. So the conservatives marched in D.C. The vice president gave a speech in Miami, but she left out one key word, one key word in her speech. We'll let you hear it next.
Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Uh, we don't talk, we uh, we talk sporadically about the topic of abortion, right to life, right to choose, uh, moving back to the states, the laws we have here in Arizona, the competing laws with the territorial law versus the law of, that has been in place that it's also here that some are saying can coexist. So we've talked about the politics of abortion. Um, and I've, I've, um, always maintained that the question has always been about when does life begin, period. That's what this struggle is all about. Um, because if you're someone that says you're pro, so let's let's go to the other side. I'm going I'm I'm to give um, fair to both sides. The question for the pro-life crowd is you're not in favor of any exceptions. You mean that it should be even if it's rape or incest or for the life of the mother, you believe that there should be no um, no exceptions. Well, there's another side to that. And the other side is, do you believe in any exceptions? Because if you believe in the fundamental right for a mother to choose when and if she's going to be a mother, then why are there limits on when she can do it? And the reason why there are limitations in the minds of the vast majority of Americans is because at some point, even though it's in the womb, we recognize this as a life, as a child. And therefore, it is it deserves protection. So this whether you and I agree on when life begins doesn't matter for what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the argument has always been when does life begin for some? It begins at conception for others. It begins at birth and there's everything in between. But that's what this fight has been about forever. I bring this up because the 50th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Conservatives marched at the Right to Life March in D.C. Now, again, I am a, I am someone that is pro-life, but I am not um, I'm not blind to the plight of people. In other words, I've never used the phrase baby killer. I'm not I, it's not my style. I don't believe it that way. I think that um, it's the other way. I think that if we are if I am going to be part of the crowd that says to a woman or to a couple um we want you or I think the right thing to do is to carry that child to term. If you're going to keep that child, we as an organization, and there's great ones here in Arizona, um, that will come alongside you. And Choices Pregnancy Center comes to mind. We will come alongside you. We will help you along the way with prenatal care. We will help prepare you for the birth of your child. We will help prepare you for the caring of your child because we want you to be a, a successful parent. If you are going to make the commitment to bring your child to term and into this world, we want to help you. If adoption is the right thing for you, we want to help you with adoption services. I look at it that way. I see it as a responsibility. That if we're going to ask people to do this or demand, whatever you want to call it, then we should help them when we can. That's my belief. But so the right to life crowd marched in D.C. this weekend in big numbers like they always do, even though Roe v. Wade has been sent back to the states where the abortion topic is now a state's rights issue. States can do what they want. Vice President Harris was in Miami and she was giving a speech about the right to choose and being pro-abortion. And I want you to hear this is a 43 second clip, but you will hear about midway through it the omission of a very, very important word in a very well-known quote. We collectively believe and know America is a promise. America is a promise. It is a promise of freedom and liberty. Not for some, but for all. A promise. 
promise we made in the Declaration of Independence, that we are each endowed with the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Be clear, these rights were not bestowed upon us. They belong to us as Americans. Isn't it interesting? Did you catch it? I hope you did. Because the original quote, um, originally John Locke, the quote was uh, life, liberty, property was the original quote. But Thomas Jefferson took that quote and put it into the Declaration of Independence that all people are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. The, uh, among these, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Isn't it fascinating at this speech she decided to leave the word life out of there? That was intentional. That was an intentional omission. So you want to change the Declaration of Independence, at least in your speech, because you know as well as I do, in that crowd, saying the word life conjures up a political fight. Because the question goes back on the abortion topic to when does life begin? Now, we all struggle with it. It is a struggle that we struggle with amongst ourselves. I've used this when I've talked to people that are pro pro choice. I don't uh, I disagree with them. I don't hate them. Um, I just want them to understand and respect where I'm coming from. It's never been about um, taking a woman's rights away. But if I believe it's a child in the womb, it deserves the same constitutional protection and it has the same inalienable rights as any other person. So I've asked this question. If you if someone you loved were pregnant with a child. Someone you love pregnant with a child and they were hit by a drunk driver and she lost the baby. Would you want that drunk driver prosecuted for murder or negligent homicide or whatever? If the answer is yes, it can't be a glob of cells when you want an abortion and it can't be a life when you want to keep the baby. And so I'm not trying to trick anybody. I'm just saying that we all struggle with this question of when life begins. So struggle with it. That's what we should be struggling about. This idea that people like me just want to infringe upon a woman's rights is absurd. And if you are someone that says a woman has the ultimate responsibility and the right to choose when and if she becomes a mother and everybody cheers when you say it, fair enough. But now struggle with the question, should there be restrictions? Is there a time limitation? Should that mother be able to decide for any reason in the last week of pregnancy before she gives birth that she could terminate the pregnancy? If you don't believe that, you have to ask yourself why you don't believe that. And if it's because at that point it's a baby, you're struggling with when life begins. And that's what this conversation has always been about. I think that is what it's going to always be about. In a moment, are school districts in Arizona prepared if the spending cap remains in place? One district says it's prepared. We'll tell you the story next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, public education is a topic we talk, I talk about very often um, on the show. It's something that's become more important to me the older I get. Um, all I wanted to do as a kid was work. 
So I didn't pay much attention to my high school education. And what it did for me um, later on in life was make me realize that the basic education I did have is what led me to the ability to learn. Um, I think if 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 more people understood at a younger age that the ability to learn can always change your life. If you don't have the ability, if you can't read, if you can't perform math skills, you are behind the eight ball. You are way behind everybody else. So the big conversation in Arizona has to do with the AEL, the Aggregate Expenditure Limitation that was voted in in 1980 by virtue of a ballot initiative here in Arizona, which means in order to override it, it takes a two-thirds majority of the House and the Senate. Now, this AEL... We hit that limit last year, and it does adjust for inflation. We hit that limit last year, and in the last week of, this, of the legislative session, they overrode it in both the House and the Senate. The talk is already about overriding this piece of legislation that is in you know this law that's in effect. The Higley School District, Higley Unified School District, is looking at an estimated one hundred twenty-three million dollar maintenance and operation budget, three million dollars higher than the current spending plan for the fiscal year beginning July first. Um, at a January. 18th meeting, um, the governing board said Tyler Moore you know, gave the governing board a first review of the proposed budget, said the budget takes into consideration that student enrollment would remain flat, the base level support per student would be increased by 2% for inflation, and that the Arizona State Retirement System contribution is going up by 0.12%, a $60,000 increase for the district. So Higley is saying they are preparing in case this limitation is reached. Um, the bigger question for me is why? Um, what I mean by that is the, the question of why should be answered by public education um, all the time. This is anyone. Um, when I negotiate a contract here, when I want a raise, when I want to be paid more money, I have to tell the boss why. Um, and they have to believe me. They have to see value in that. You just aren't entitled to a lot of different things. When it comes to the education of our children um, across this country, after COVID-19, we have seen a dramatic drop of over a million students have left public education. Whether they're going to charter schools or home schools or micro schools or where they're going, they are leaving public education because they're looking for something different. If the public education system was running as it should, and it's, leave it just in Arizona, if we were performing, if parents were seeing their children could read, if parents are finding out that their children are performing math skills at grade level, they're not going to look to go somewhere else, and not in such large numbers anyway. There's a reason why parents get to a place financially in their life that they can put their children in a private school. It's so that their children have a better education and a better opportunity at a college education or a better jumpstart at life. Interesting story on the other end of this spectrum that I have in front of me. Um, it is about um, – well, the couple of headlines are about the other things in public schools. Before I get to them, building the future, trade occupations encouraged as demand for skilled labor grows. Um, this is from Cronkite. I talk often about the CTEDs. I talk often about career technical education districts in Arizona, as they're called. Um, we called them trade schools when we were kids, and it's changed a lot since the 1980s when I was in high school. It is no longer just the classic trades um, for construction and job sites. There is so many different avenues for students to explore. But one of the changes that I think needs to be made in the public school system, and I think it needs to be made immediately, is counseling. 
you're a student, you know, you're a, your advisor. Uh, students have an advisor in school. And we need to get rid of the stigma that if you're not going to college, it's because you're a strong back and a weak mind. And so you're not smart enough for college. So therefore, you go in a different direction. When you walk into, and I don't know this exclusively, so nothing is 100%, but the vast majority of advisors at the high school level are advising kids about college. What I mean by that is when you sit down with your advisor, it's, okay, you've got to apply for this grant, you have to apply for this student loan, you have to do this to get yourself in college, and it is all driven to push kids toward college. I think a college education is uh, is amazing for so many people. I'm certainly not discounting college, not at all. I work with so many people in this building that are graduates from Cronkite, and I can tell you that they are stellar at what they do. Absolutely stellar at what they do. My producer, Julia, is a graduate from Cronkite, and she is she got this job because she is so good at her young age at what she does. And she is a picture of so many people in this building that started here as interns. They work their way up, and they are stellar parts of our either journalism team or the team of people doing talk radio. So I certainly am not trying to diminish a college education. But what I am saying is that for many of these kids, when they are a sophomore in high school, they know that whether it's financial circumstances at home, just a personal desire to do something different, that they're not necessarily wanting to be or going to be on the classic track toward a college education. So they go into these CTEDs. And they have an opportunity to explore a skill set that will remain with them for the rest of their life. Now, I'm 55 years old. I hope I'm never putting my tools on professionally again as an electrician. But learning the skills as an electrician when I was a kid fed me for my entire adult life until I went into radio. Now, again, barely have a high school diploma. I've never been unemployed when I didn't choose it. The longest time of unemployment I had was three days when I drove cross-country to Arizona, and I got hired by three different companies the day after I got into Arizona. Nothing remarkable about me, just I happen to be in the trades, and they are very, they pay well. But there are so many opportunities. I just heard in the newscast earlier this morning, I believe it was during the expansion um, or the first newscast that nursing shortages continue across the state of Arizona, that there are people leaving the profession. But there are a lot of people that try that want to be nurses that don't have the opportunity to do that because there's not enough instructors. Well, these CTEDs play a huge role in people on track in that nursing profession. That there is in this country, we are arguing about the cap on spending for for education, for high school education and you know, elementary school, but public education. What we should be looking at is how do we change the system to be most effective? Money is going to be a part of it, but there are so many different avenues. There's choices in schools, but there's also choices in direction for the rest of your life. If you are a student that knows you're not going to college, at least not once you graduate from high school, that you want to go to work or you want to do something, you want to have a skill, then these CTEDs should be a viable option that school counselors are advising kids to look into. Kids go on visits to college campuses. They go on a visit to a college campus to explore that college. Is it the right fit for them? Why are we not taking kids? And maybe we are, and I don't know much about it. Why aren't we bringing these kids on visits to CTEDs, letting them sit down with instructors that are experts in these fields, culinary arts, massage therapy, EMT, and then all of the trades and auto mechanics and auto body, and let them look around and see something they might be interested in that could direct them and pay them for the rest of their life. Education is changing like everything else in this world. And if the education system doesn't change with it, it is doomed. 
And so I just hope it does because we want to see our kids just be successful. In a moment, would you support a law that fines slow drivers in the left lane? We're going to talk about the slowpoke law coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I am someone that normally says I'm in favor of less laws, not more laws. I think that if, uh, you know, government should be getting together and saying, do we really need this law? Is this any of the government's business? What are we solving? What are the unintended consequences? But South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, I am 100% all in in favor of this. Whoever came up with this idea, I'm sending you money for your next re-election campaign. This is brilliant. A bill allowing police to charge a bigger fine for people driving slow in the left lane on interstates and other multi-lane highways is one of the first to be taken up by the South Carolina State House this year. Yes, you should applaud. Here's my public service announcement, and I do this often. It's late in the day, so I know there's not a lot of whole, a whole lot of traffic, but this makes it worse sometimes. If you are driving in the left lane, not the diamond lane, not that MOV lane, the left lane. If you're in the left lane and you are surprised at the lack of traffic, look in your rearview mirror. There are 10 cars that want to run you into the wall. Get over. Nobody cares how slow you're driving. Nobody cares. Just don't do it in the left lane. Trucks, if you're driving a panel truck, if you're driving anything bigger than a pickup truck, get out of the passing lane. Move over. It's not that hard. It really isn't. And you know where I find it worst? The worst in town is on the 51, and I don't know why. There could be four cars doing 63 miles an hour. They will find themselves driving side by side on the 51. A Senate subcommittee Tuesday approved increasing the fine. From $25 up to $100, giving the most of the increased amount to the state highway patrol. Lawmakers passed the slowpoke bill in 2021, and now they want to raise the fines. Amen. Amen. Um, What's interesting about this is if you talk to a lot of – and again, I understand that people drive very fast. I know they do. But there is a law on the books, and I don't know the exact verbiage, and I certainly don't know what the statute is. But if you don't believe that this is true, ask a cop. There is a law that you aren't supposed to be in that left-hand lane unless you're passing. doesn't matter how fast you're going. If you're not passing, move over. It is not safe. Well, people should slow down. You're right. They should slow down. Get out of their way. Having to pass you on the right is makes it more and more dangerous. You are more dangerous on the road, especially if there are the people that decide to drive slower than the speed limit. That's the one that gets me. Why are you on the freeway? Take the surface street. You're annoying. First of all, you're annoying. But more than being annoying, you're dangerous. You know, if if you've got if you've got a semi truck passing you, you probably ought to rethink taking the freeway. You know, if you drive so slow that 18 wheelers pass you, you're a nuisance. I, I know you don't like to hear it. I know people don't like to hear it. You're a nuisance. You're dangerous, too. Well, what about the people doing 85? They get tickets for breaking the law. People driving 85, when the cops catch them, they pull them over and they write them a ticket. 
because it's dangerous. Just like driving in the passing lane and you're not passing. You're dangerous. Some people think that because you drive slower, you're safer. Really? Really? My, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to give names. I was about to give a name. I won't give a names or, or who they are, how they were related to me. Somebody that I was related to that has now passed away. So I can tell this story. When she drove her car, she looked like a passenger. You know what I mean? She didn't look like she was driving. She had her hands on the steering wheel, but it was like she was just right along for the ride. In my neighborhood one day, in my neighborhood one day, now she drove slow, elderly and drove slow. In my neighborhood one day, she made a mistake. I happened to be coming home. She was leaving home uh, from her home and going. We lived lived in the same neighborhood, driving in a different direction than I was and didn't see me. She ran through a stop sign and saw it very late, so she jammed on her brakes and rolled almost into the middle of the intersection. Now, there was no traffic coming, no traffic around her at all. What did she do? Yes, she stopped in the middle of the intersection. Mm -mm. She backed up. She backed up to the stop sign, came to a complete stop, and then went forward. Why? Driving slow and safe. There are just some people should hang it up. There are other options. We have options for drunk drivers. We have options for impaired drivers. We should have options. And again, I'm not hard-hearted. I would just say to you, if you're on the freeway and people are passing you at a rapid rate, rethink taking the freeway. If you're not in a hurry, just take the surface streets. But I love this slowpoke law. I love it. I think that if state troopers were doing this, and then the other part of this, for all of you out there that are the militant people that think that fast drivers should slow down, if you got out of the way and just let them fly past you in the left-hand lane, cops would catch them. It'd be easier. I just like it. I think South Carolina, I know you're onto something. I know you are onto something. Uh, Coming up. Just after 10 o'clock, we talk about Representative Gallego makes an announcement. He's running for the United States Senate. Why did he make the announcement and why is he doing it next?